Good morning, saints. Good morning, family. I love you. I love you, family. And God loves you, too. And so this morning, he has a word in due season for the people who are here today. Let me pray. Father God, I submit to you in all things, Father God. Use me as a vessel, Father God, to bless your people and to glorify yourself. Father God, this has never been about me. It's always, always been about you. Your presence is in this place right now. Your glory is in this place right now. May you be magnified, Father God. May the burdens of the people fall off of them, Father God, because of your love and mercy and your grace. Father God, give them the peace that passes all understanding. Let that peace keep and guard their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let them know that you have them, Father God, and that you are keeping them and protecting them, Father God. Father God, let them know that you will heal them of every sickness, every disease, every broken heart, Father God. That you are a God that is faithful. You are a God that loves us. And so we thank you for this day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 No, I'm not Pastor Jeremy, as you can see. But if this is your first time here, I want to encourage you to come back because he's a great teacher. And I count it an honor and a privilege to be under his leadership and under his teaching. You know, there were days many, 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 many moons ago when I wanted to be a track star. I was going to Mountain Home High School in Idaho. Where's Mountain Home and where's Idaho? <laughs> Woohoo! Well, Mountain Home is about 45 miles south of Boise, the capital. So I went out for track. I went out for the 200-yard dash because I wanted to be a sprinter. And so, you know, I could get off the blocks pretty good, I mean, I'd come out fast, smoking, but halfway down the stretch, I would lose steam. And I'd come limping into the finish line, fourth or fifth, all the time, fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth. So finally, the coach said to me, Celeste, why don't you go out for the mile? The mile? <laughs> Ugh. But you know, he's coach. I said, okay, okay, coach. It was even worse because I just couldn't handle the distance. I would get weary. I would get tired. I didn't want to look at the scenery. It wasn't beautiful. I would drag my way into fin to the finish line, and sooner or later, the coach came to me and said, you know what, Celeste? I think that you should explore opportunities in other areas. Translation, I'm kicking you off the team. But that's okay because I got on the debate team. I loved it, but that's another story. <laughs> so 45 years later, here I am. And I thought I had stopped running a race when I was back in high school. But I'm still running. But the difference now is I'm running for God. I'm on Team Jesus now. I'm on Team Jesus. And I'm not competing against others. I'm running this race with my brothers 
and my sisters, and we're all on the same course. We've got different lanes that God has placed us in, but we're all running in the same direction, and we're all running toward the finish line. And guess what? You know what? God doesn't kick me off the team because I'm not fast enough. He loves me, and he just wants me to finish the race. And when I get to the finish line, when I cross the finish line, Jesus is there. He's waiting for me. And my prize is not some trophy or some medal that rusts and it, it disintegrates and it fades away. My prize is the crown of eternal life forever and forever and forever and forever. I win. So we have a race to run. And I've got my eyes on the prize. But in the meantime, we've got to run that race here in the earth. I think Paul says it best in Philippians 4, 13 and 14. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. See, Paul uses the analogy of running a race to talk about the Christian life throughout the New Testament. He uses it often. And if you look at Paul's life, he definitely was not a sprinter. He ran a full-blown marathon, a full-blown marathon. He suffered greatly, but he was determined to finish the race. And so let's pick up in Acts 20, 21 through 24, where we have Paul talking to the elders at Ephesus. And this is what he's telling them. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, God gives all of his children purpose. All of us have work to do as we run this race in the lane that God has given us to run. See, Paul, he knew what he was called to do. He was called to preach to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And he had this message, repent of sin and turn towards God. Repent of sin and turn towards God. 
He was willing to fulfill that assignment no matter what happened. He was determined. And so in doing so, he suffered. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Can we? If God spoke to us today, to each and every one of us, and said, I want you to take the good news into Ipsy, Celine, and Ann Arbor, but you're going to get a head bashing, a behind whooping in every city that you go to. How many of you would be saying, hallelujah, glory to God, I'm ready to go, Lord. How many of us would do that? I can only speak about me. I know what I would do. I'd say, Lord, well, can I try Ipsy first and see how that goes? And then... Could we then see how bad my head's bashed in after Ipsy? Or, and I got to go to jail? I'll preach in the jails, but do I got to go to jail? <laughs> We're laughing. It's, it's, but the truth is, Paul was willing to do all of that. All of that. See, Paul's decision to do it was based on obedience. He was obedient to God. And we know in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, that obedience is better than sacrifice. Because Saul would not be obedient to God. God told Saul in 1 Samuel 15, he said, destroy the Amalekites. Destroy them all. And destroy all of their livestock. Destroy everything. But you know what? Saul let the king live, and he let some of the prized livestock live so that he could give it as a sacrifice. He decided what he wanted to do out of what God told him. And because of that, God rejected him as king. So obedience, when we're obedient to God, he can use us to do marvelous things. It's him working through us, not us but him working through our obedience, through our faith, through our willingness to follow Holy Spirit, to go forward no matter what the odds are, no matter what we suffer. When we say, yes, Lord, he can do a mighty work through us. And guess what? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know every scripture. You don't have to... You know, you don't have to be something that you're not. He'll use you as you are. Because if he called you to do it, he's going to equip you to do it. He is not going to leave you hanging out there. That is not our daddy. He doesn't leave us hanging. So through Paul's obedience, he led many, many, many Christians to Christ. He planted many churches And he raised up and taught and mentored many men and women of God so that they could go out and run their race and preach the gospel, the good news. So God calls us to be obedient. So let's take a look at, well, let me jump ahead. He raised up many people. Paul did. And he loved everyone he labored with. 
but in particular, he had a fondness for Timothy. Timothy was like his son. He was like his brother, his friend. Timothy, he loved Timothy, and he spent a lot of time sowing into Timothy. And at some point, he told Timothy as he was coming, Paul was coming towards the end of his life, he said, Timothy, in the last days, the times are going to be perilous. Men are going to be lovers of themselves. There's going to be sin. It's going to be crazy evil. But it's folly because they won't succeed. But you, Timothy, you've spent time with me. You know my doctrine. You know what I believe. You know what my purpose is. You know how I've lived. I've shown you all of that, Timothy. He's also told Timothy, you know my love. You know my patience, my faith, and my endurance. And in 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12, he says, you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus and will suffer persecution. But I don't want you to focus on the suffering. I love that scripture because it says God delivered me out of all of it. And if he will deliver Paul out of all of his troubles, he'll deliver us from all of our troubles. If we believe, if we believe, if we believe, if we believe. And so, when we're persecuted for God's sake, because we will be, God still expects us to run our race. We don't stop. We keep running. We keep running. Now, maybe we don't run as fast because it hurts when we experience trials, but we don't give up. We keep our eyes on the prize, and that's the finish line. We cannot take our focus off the finish line. Everyone in here, we're sisters and brothers. We must help each other when things get rough, and we need to stay focused on the finish line. Amen? 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 Amen. And so I love this scripture. I don't think I have it up there, but it's Psalm 34 and 17. When I get depressed, I do. When I feel overburdened, I do. I read this, Psalm 34 and 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. I keep that scripture near and dear to me, and I cry out to God when I'm hurting. And so let's pick up in 2 Timothy 4, 5 and 8. Paul continues on, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord 
work at telling others the good news, and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all, for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So although we may suffer temporarily, because it's only temporary, folks, it's only temporary. It may seem like it's forever when you're going through, but it's only temporary. We keep running because we got a prize. We're going to get to the finish line. I don't care what the enemy throws at us. Our God is able. He is able. And we have to believe that with all of our hearts. So let's, to get to the finish line, we've got to do some stuff, okay? It's not just running. We've got to do some stuff. And the first thing that we have to do is Put our faith to work. Put our faith to work. The first thing we need to do is put our faith to work. Sorry it's not up on the screen right now, but if you will take the notes, okay? We need to put our faith to work. It's got to be a lifestyle. It's got to be a lifestyle, okay? And so, how do we live by faith? Well, let's look at Hebrews. Let's look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. You see, God wants us to look to him and run this race. And he says... We need, and let us run with this race, with the endurance, the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God on the throne. Amen? He's seated to the right hand of God on the throne. We will be tested. There is no doubt we will be tested. But how we react to the test, now that's the question. Will we give up and throw in the towel? Or will we go to God? Will we go to God? Will we put our faith in him, no matter what the circumstances are? Will we take our eyes off of what's going on? And will we focus on our Lord Jesus? Or are you going to look at the circumstance? Am I going to look at the circumstance and say, oh, I can't get through this? 
because it looks crazy. It looks impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So we can't look at what's going on. We can't let it bother us to the point where we become frozen because our God is greater. We sing it every week, but do we believe it? Do we believe what we're singing? Do we live out what we're singing? Because we will be tested. You got testimonies. We all have testimonies, but we need to tell them. We need to tell them. It's not a testimony unless you tell it. And every single one in here who is in Christ and has gone through the fire, you got a testimony. And someone needs to hear it. Someone needs to hear it. Look, Paul tells us there's a cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, which is not up on the screen, but if you read that whole chapter, it's about men and women of faith. He's got people in there like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Joseph and David and Barak and Gideon. He's even got Rahab the harlot. And he says harlot. And there's a reason why God wanted that in there. Because regardless of what your past is, when God says, when God says, you're my child, that past means nothing. It means nothing. It means nothing. So they are witnesses. They have ran their race. They crossed to the finish line. Paul crossed to the finish line. I'd like to, I'd tell you now, my husband's in heaven. He passed away in 2009, and I know he crossed the finish line. He was a man of faith. So he's a witness cheering me on. We all know people that we love that left here before us, great men and women of faith cheering us on. But it's now time for us to run our race so that our children and our grandchildren can see us running this race and they can see that their moms and dads didn't give up. They can see their moms and dads didn't take their eyes off of Jesus. They might have had a tough time, but they didn't quit. They went to the finish line. Amen? The second thing that we need to do, and I need you to pull up that slide again on the points. It's not. Okay. Bear with me. God is good all the time. I'm pressing on. I don't care that the projector is dead. My God's alive. Hallelujah. Don't matter to me. Let's keep it rolling for Jesus. The second point is give God our burdens. So many people are suffering with burdens, non-Christians and Christians alike. And it hurts me. It grieves my heart. It grieves my heart. See, we weren't designed to carry weight and burdens. We weren't designed to do that. God did not want us to carry the weight and the burdens and the sin upon us. We weren't created to do that. And so you can't run a race if you're weighed down with burdens and sin. You can't run. You just be barely making it out of the bed in the morning. And you don't want to do anything. You just want to sleep because life is too hard. 
I've been there. I've been there. We weren't designed to carry that weight. What's that weight? Well, sometimes that weight is living outside of God's perfect will for our life. We want to do our thing, and God wants us to do another thing. And so we're out of his will, and the thing that we're doing becomes heavy because God's not in it. We're in it. Sometimes we're in unhealthy relationships. Too much drama. I didn't say that these were sins. I'm saying they're weight. There's a difference. You can have burdens that aren't necessarily sins. But sin is, becomes burdensome. Listen to me. You can have weight. You can have weight. And it can be heavy, but that doesn't mean you're sinning. But if you don't nip it in the bud, it can become sin. Okay? Always being worried and anxious. Always nervous about everything. Oh, is this going to work out? Oh, is this going to, oh, what's tomorrow going to bring? What's, uh, do you know? Do you guys, any of you worry? Okay. God doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He's got it in control. We don't know what lies ahead. Paul didn't know what lies ahead, except Holy Spirit told him he was going to get beat up and go to jail. And trust me, when Holy Spirit tells you something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Okay, maybe it's finances. Maybe you're having a financial crisis right now. I've been there. Money's not right. More bills than we've got income. But God is in control. Marital problems. Maybe there's marital problems. Maybe there's addictions that even though you're saved, you're hiding. You still got some addictions. You don't want anybody to know you're ashamed. Well, God wants us to get rid of that stuff, to strip it off, to strip it off. You know, I was talking to a brother last week, and he was telling me about a project he was working on on his deck. And he said he was stripping his deck. And I, I'm a girl, so I don't know what it's entailing that. I guess you strip off some stain and strip off the old varnish or whatever. And I don't know what you do to restore it, but he had to get rid of the old to restore and bring the new in. And I was thinking about our lives as Christians. God wants us to strip off the weight and keep it off. So you're constantly stripping, constantly casting your cares, constantly giving your burdens to the Lord, constantly. It's not just a one-day thing. It's an everyday thing. I'm stripping. I'm stripping. Lord, I don't want to carry this. You carry it. I can't carry it. Please help me, God. Help me get rid of this weight. I don't want it clinging to me. Because everything is coming at me. I can't handle it, but you can. So we need that. We need to continuously strip off the weight. And so if we don't do it, it can turn to sin. And let me give you a little bit of a testimony, and I hope you'll be patient with me. Please do. See, when I got saved at 32, I was still living a life of sin. My spirit man was renewed, but I was still fornicating. I was still partying. I was still getting high. I was, hey, ho, hey. I was out there still, but I'd be in church on Sunday. Praise God. Praise God. Glory. <laughs> Glory. Okay. And then one day, one day, 
as I got more word in me month after month, I knew enough to come to church. My heart started grieving, started saying, God, what's wrong? I'm supposed to be living free, but I know I'm doing stuff that doesn't please you. I know I'm doing stuff that doesn't please you. Help me, help me. And Holy Spirit started talking to me, and he said, you need to get it right with your father. See, some of you probably have heard me give my testimony, but my father and mother, they both were alcoholics. They drank heavily. My father was in the service in the Air Force, and he was always quiet. And he'd work. Both my mom and my dad worked. They were high-functioning. They brought their money home. They fed us. They clothed us. But when my father drank, he would hit me. And he didn't hit me when he wasn't drinking, but he hit me when he was drinking. And over time, I internalized that as my father doesn't love me. I internalized that that I'm not worthy of his love. I internalize that as a young girl, and that hurt over time became rage. And that rage caused me to go out and do things to violate myself, to degrade myself, because I was angry. I was angry. I didn't think I had any worth. I had very low self-esteem. Because my dad, who, what dad would hit their daughter? But he did. So when Holy Spirit told me, talk to your father, my father was living out in California. He had lived out there and retired from the service since 1969. I picked up the phone. I was 35, 36-ish. And I said, Dad, he said, what, Lessie? He called me Lessie. I said, um, why did you beat me when I was a kid? And my father, he cried. He just started sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And then I started crying and sobbing and sobbing. And he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. And then he said, Celeste, I never meant to hurt you like that. And in that instant, in that instant, the guilt, the shame, everything lifted off. And my relationship with my father was restored at that very instant. I forgave him because he told me I had so much rage in me, Celeste, from my father leaving my mother when I... I was in her womb at seven months. I never knew my dad, and that made me angry, and I took it out on you and the kids. And so the beauty of it, that's not, that's not the rest, but we had victory in that my father came to Christ at 74. Amen. At 74. It is never too late as long as you're living. He passed away at 76. But you know what? Stripping that off of me, stripping that weight off of me, the weight also came off of him. It gave us a new freedom. And no, I didn't have the relationship with my dad that 
a girl, little girl would have in a normal circumstances, but I had a new relationship with him, a beautiful relationship with him. And I was there when he went home to Jesus. The third thing that we need to do, and remember the first thing is put our faith to work. The second thing is give God our burdens. And the third, third thing is confess our sins and repent. If we are sinning, we need to stop. Okay, I'm not your judge. I don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. But God wants us to stop sinning. He wants us to run this race without that weight. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That means he cleanses, forgives, makes brand new, and he forgets about it. We keep carrying that around. I remember when I did this. If God has forgiven you, you're forgiven. Let it go. I don't know who I'm speaking to today in here, but you need to let it go. When God says you're forgiven, that's end of story. Keep running your race. And number four is... Keep running no matter what. Stay focused on the prize. Stay focused. Stay focused. Stay focused. Because we're in this race together. And if you see a brother or a sister who is falling behind, who is suffering, then you come alongside of them and you help carry their burden. But let me make this very clear. You carry their burden by praying for them, by interceding for them, by encouraging them. And if they need physical support, you buy food for them and maybe clothing for them. But we cannot solve those problems. Only God, who is the yoke-destroying, burden-removing God, can solve the problem but we can be there to support our brother and sister. And then we need to take the good news out here to the world. Let's start with Ipsy. Okay, you might get a head bashing, but keep going. Okay, then let's go to Celine. Let's go to Ann Arbor. Let's take the love of Jesus Christ to the people and our families, our communities. Let's make a difference where God has planted us in this community, in this community. He fills you up with great teaching from pastor every week, every week, every week. But now we got to use that teaching. You got to run your race. And when you're running your race, you got to tell them the good news. And you got to give your testimony and tell them what God has done for you and me. It is just too important. We can't keep it inside of us. There's too many people dying. They're dying. We need to tell them that there's an answer and Jesus is real. There may be some in here today that don't know Jesus. I like Romans 10 and 13 because it's very short, but it's very clear. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If there's anybody in here today that's not even in the race, 
but you want to get in the race. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Call out to him, and he will save you. If there's anyone in here today who has stumbled and strayed and gotten away, you're still saved, but you're out of fellowship with the Lord, come back home. He's waiting with open arms. Let us pray. Father God, in the matchless name of Jesus, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you, Father God, for the blood of Jesus. We believe by faith, Father God, that if there's anyone in here today that does not know you, Father God, that they will call on you, Father God, and say, I want you, Jesus. I want you in my life now. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. I lay down my sin. And I pick up your love in exchange. And I thank you, Lord, for loving me. And if there's anyone in here who has felt like everything is just falling apart and that God doesn't hear or he doesn't understand, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And, Father, we know, Father God, that if we will just cry out to you, that you will deliver us out of all our troubles and so we thank you right now in the matchless name of Jesus, Father God, that you continue to gird us up. You continue to give us your strength. You continue, Father God, to make a way out of no way, Father God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, as you lead. It is not by your might nor by your power, but by your spirit that we shall finish this race. And so, Lord, we bless you on today. We thank you, Father God. This is the day that you have made, and we are rejoicing in it, Father God, because, Father God, you make all things beautiful in your time. So we thank you, Lord. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.